This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. In order to internalize the incredible goodness and godness of our Heavenly Papa, we must mute the cacophony of the world and find the stillness of our bodies, minds, and emotions. Only then can our hearts ingest this truth. Only then can we really know He is God. Deborah's special spot is off the beaten path, so it's secluded. No unexpected visitors, loud noises, or interruptions. She always turns her phone off during her be still in no time. It's near the humongous tree she calls the wall of wood that reminds her of Papa's vastness and incredible power. A few yards away, there is a reflection pool filled with chilled mountain spring water that reflects Papa's majestic mountains and towering treetops. Her soul just can't drink in enough. Have you considered rooting out a be still and no place for yourself? Valeria Tellis interviews Deborah Cody. Deborah M. Cody is an inspirational humorist, columnist, popular speaker, and award-winning author of over 40 books, including the best-selling Too Blessed to be Stressed series, over 1 million sold. Deborah's faith-based, humorous women's books include Too Blessed to be Stressed for Moms, Too Blessed to be Stressed, Inspiration for Every Day, Too Blessed to be Stressed Cookbook, Too Blessed to be Stressed, Fear, Faith, and a Fistful of Chocolate, More Beauty, Less Beast, Too Loved to be Lost, Mom Needs Chocolate. Deborah's book, Too Blessed to be Stressed, Inspiration for Every Day, is also available in journal format and is one of the nearly 30 offspring of the original bestseller, Too Blessed to be Stressed, first published in 2011. The newest book in the series is Too Blessed to be Stressed for Moms. To date, the series has sold well over a million copies in multiple languages worldwide. She holds a Living Now Award gold medalist, named Okra Pick of the Year Best in Southern Literature, finalist recipient of the Sela Literary Award and or the Illumination Award for Exemplary Christian Books and recipient of the Mom's Choice Award. To read Deborah's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Here is the interview with Deborah Cody. In your own words, who is Deborah Cody? Oh, well, we're just jumping in there with both feet at the deep end. <laughs> you know, right. 
It's really funny, Valerie, that you asked me that question because recently um, with social isolation, I've been cleaning out my attic and I ran across an old essay that I wrote when I was 14 years old, right after the eighth grade, before I was getting ready to go into high school and all the trauma that comes with teenage angst and all. And I apparently spent the summer trying to find myself. And this essay was titled, Who Am I? And it was very cool to go back and read who I was at that age, at age 14. And it's funny that I, one of the things that I said in there was, I realized as much as I love books, I will never be able to be an author because I can't imagine being able to touch people's heart with the written word the way that the books that I eat and sleep with and love and live in do for me. And if I could only go back and take my 14-year-old self's hand, I would say, yes, you're going to be shocked. You're going to sell over a million books. And your mail is going to say that people think that you touch their hearts just that very same way. And so, you know, I'm not sure how I would answer who is Deborah Cody. I would say she's the little Southern girl who loves Jesus and loves joy. That's wonderful. I love that too. <laughs> Thank you, Deborah. So I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about your book, Too Blessed to be Stressed, Inspiration for Every Day. What a wonderful title. When I looked at it, I'm like, wow, this is great and perfect to talk about. Too Blessed to be Stressed. This is so inspirational. Well, thank you. Yeah. So my first question um, is a warm-up question. What is life? Well, I guess that depends upon the day that you answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> right. And what time of day you answer the question. Um, life for me is a series of wonderments. Uh, and I use that word intentionally because I think we just don't have enough wonder Uh, sometimes in our stressful lives, when we're going about trying to live in the moment and solve the present mysteries and, and conundrums that we face every day um, and all the stressors that attack us, we lose the sense of wonder. And so I try to find that wonder and that wonder leads me directly to joy. Um, hand in hand, they are. And so I would like that. That's my optimum answer. That's my um, my very optimistic answer. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's interesting. You said the word joy twice. Yeah, I think that's a big focus for me, especially these days when we're, you know, isolated due to the virus. And we have um, lots more concerns, especially for the health and well-being of our loved ones. I have a 92 year old mom who lives here right around the corner from me, and I'm constantly conscious of what she's being exposed to. And I think joy is very important. It needs to be right there in the mix of a lot of our concerns, and it actually replaces the fear that tends to want to grip us if we're not careful. Yeah, it's so true. And joy, I connect joy with gratitude in a way. Yeah, it comes from that state of mind, right? Another question came to mind now about joy, happiness, and pleasure. Would you attempt to um, define them? What separates them? How are they different? 
I think joy to me is totally related to my faith uh, and that it has nothing to do with our circumstances, um, which sometimes our definition of joy or even happiness is that dependent upon whether the birds are singing, the sky is blue and whether we happen to have lost a pound or two in the last week. And I think joy really is a deeper, deeper than that. And it has to do with security. And that has to do with our trust, whether we have trust in a Papa God who cares about us. He's there. He cares. He's aware. If we really believe that, then we'll be able to experience that joy a lot, a lot easier. Uh, And happiness is kind of a side effect of that. Again, it has to do with the wonderment, I think, and how much wonder we choose to find in our everyday world. Right. Wow. Um, Yeah, I love what you said about trust. Yeah, the joy is also connected to trust. Yeah, true. Uh, What comes to mind when you hear the word healing? Healing. That is something that has made up my 2020 so far because uh, 2019 was a very rough year for me and my family. Um, We lost six, six loved ones. And through death, uh, divorce, um, uh, all different reasons, and, and it was very heart-rending. It was a tough, tough year. And so we entered 2020 praying for healing. And uh, it's been near and dear to my heart. Um, My daughter, uh, her husband went to work one day last summer and never came home. And he left her and totally unexpected. And I've been watching her heal and I've been uh, front and center trying to help with her and her three children under the age of eight. And I see, and and I have my own healing that I'm having to go through too as well. And it's just been um, an eye-opener. I blog a lot about healing, and I've written some different things that uh, I like to share with others that I think have helped me. And I'm back to that that word wonder. Um, I think, like you said, we need that joy, and we definitely, we need the thanksgiving. That is so important. us, to be a grateful, uh, gratitude-filled heart, I think, opens our hearts to healing. Right, right. Being grateful for what we have, right? What's here. What comes to mind when you hear the word freedom? I picture that old movie, Independence Day, with Will Smith dragging that alien by his dreads. (laughs) (laughs) That's why. Yeah, I guess that's, and I think, too, I thinking a little bit more about um, my dependency on the Lord lately, and I, I, as opposed to dependence, which I think is independence is where we start. And dependence is what we mature into, which seems the opposite. Because as children, we are dependent on our parents and on assistance from external sources. But as we grow and mature, we become more independent. So somehow in our faith, we think it's supposed to be the same thing, but it's exactly the opposite that as we grow in our dependency and we realize we can't do it by ourselves, we cannot do it, we, we're, we have to have the help of the Lord, then I think that's uh, what I think of with dependence and independence, that I am more independent than I wish I was right now, and I want to grow into more dependence. That's interesting. Right. What is love to you, Deborah? Oh, love is my little babies. Um, I have 
five grandbabies. And now the oldest is eight, so he's not really baby. But, you know, they're always our babies. And uh, I just I spend time with them every day. And those love and cuddles and the eyes full of just love. Just there's um, I don't know. There's just the definition of love is love. I That's silly. I <laughs> but I love that. And one other thing that comes to mind when you say love is uh, I have a little rescue dog that um, that was another one of my losses last year. Both of my dogs died within two weeks of each other. And I think all pet owners understand how painful that can be. And um, I waited a few months looking for the right dog. And the Lord led me this scruffy little mutt that I never I always had cute dogs. You know, this is not a cute dog. But he is so sweet and loving, and, and he's he's the definition of love for me on a moment-by-moment basis. Oh, wow. What do you think is the purpose of your life? Uh, I think my purpose, and I know if anyone out there has an, uh, a church background where they recited creeds, they would recognize this answer because it's the answer to the very first question. Um, what is the what is the end of man? To what end is man? And it is, and I feel like that is my purpose too to to glorify God and to enjoy Him on an everyday basis. And I think I've dedicated my life to writing and speaking about how to do that because I wish someone had done that for me uh, 40 years ago when I was struggling and a newlywed and a new mom and immersed in stuff and just the busyness and the all the stuff that comes with, you know, our life, our world today. And I didn't know how to live out my faith on a day by day basis. And I wished someone would have come along beside me to help me and actually show me what that looks like. And so that's what I've dedicated my life to since I began writing um, about 15 years ago. Wow. How wonderful. So throughout your book, Too Blessed to be Stressed, Inspiration for Every Day, you refer to God as Papa God. Why is that? And how does this title relate to stress management? Well, um, the first book I ever wrote uh, was a historical novel that I began writing in 2004 called The Distant Shore. And it's based on a true story of a young girl's journey of faith um, on Florida's Merritt Island back in 1904, back before it was accessible anyway except by boat. And um, it's a true story that uh, I was given a journal that was written by a gal, um, the grandmother of a friend of mine. So I used that. The story was amazing. The first day I read that first page, I said, oh, this is the book I've been wanting to write. Um, so. In the book, as part of Emily, that's the little girl, the main character, um, as part of her journey, she was uh, sent away to this little island in Florida to live with a spinster aunt, and she was forsaken. She was she didn't have any idea why she was estranged, and her parents did not want her. They sent her away from her family, and throughout the book, you learn her secrets, the secrets of why they sent her there, and she, you learn as she learns. And she's very lonely on the island, and she's befriended by uh, a sea captain who um, introduces her to his God, his beloved God. And she begins to think of him as Papa God, B, 
because that way she doesn't, it's, it's the father that she doesn't have. So as I was writing that book, I started thinking of God as Papa God as well. And I discovered that um, it's actually based on a scripture, Romans 8, 15, which says you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. That's the New Living Translation. And Abba is actually the intimate Aramaic form of father, which is translated into modern day daddy or papa. And I just love the term Papa God because it, it fulfills our longing, I think, for a non-judgmental, all-accepting, all-forgiving love that we just need so badly. Yeah, I agree. What a great relationship to have with them. Yeah, I don't have a name for it. It's really hard even to find another word for God, right? Uh, yeah, I was trying to look for one. Do you think that is there such a thing as healthy stress? Oh, yes, I do. I think stress uh, serves a useful purpose. Um, it keeps us on our toes. Sometimes it forces us to do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. Um, like, for instance, go to the doctor to check out that lump to make sure we don't have that C word invading our bodies. You know, um, I think stress and fear do have a healthy place in our lives, but we all tend to, I think, let them take over too much space. We, we just give them too much latitude and they're like weeds. They put out feelers and they just keep growing and growing until they're out of control. Mm, yeah, that makes sense to me, Deborah. So what does Papa God has to do with um, stress management, the title? Well, I think when we speak to Papa God, which I hope we do on a daily basis, um, I think it gives us a security, a deeper sense of belonging, because who doesn't want a loving Papa who is non-judgmental? Um, and who's listening and who's warm and protective and, you know, even cuddly. Uh, how could we not have closeness with a heavenly daddy like that? And I think it keeps it front and center in our minds when we're praying, when we're talking to him. Um, and then when we're listening for his still small voice, um, we feel a deeper level of connection with him. And I think that just automatically relieves so much stress that we have built up inside us. Yeah, and that's true. Um, where is God? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> my uh, my four-year-old friend's son asked me that the other day um, because he hears the expression, um, ask Jesus into my heart. And he's like, how can he fit in there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is cute. Right? Taking, it, taking it literally, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I think God is a spirit. So it's you can't just pigeonhole him into a, a human body form and say he's standing over there. He's he's right there. Or, you know, and I think um, that's a good question that I would love for theologians throughout the history of the Bible to have been able to answer. But no one really has, except he can be anywhere he dang sure wants to be because, you know, he is a spirit. <laughs> mm, so he could be anywhere. Right. Right. Can this understanding, the belief in a heavenly God, become an understanding for life or an inspiration for a peaceful and happy moment-by-moment -moment, uh, living, I would say, a practice? Yes, I think absolutely. 
Uh, that has been my experience. And I, I've been blessed to receive uh, letters from many, many of my readers who share their, um, their own faith journeys and their prayers for uh, different deep-seated needs that they have in their lives. And I, I am absolutely assured that um, belief and trust and dependency in Papa God is the only thing that can get us through this life um, and still maintain any kind of level of joy uh, and and to look through the future with hope, because especially now, I mean, just to look around at the chaos that's going on in the world right now, especially with um, people who don't have their faith to lean on in times like these, um, it breaks my heart. You know, we're all going through the same things, but we, we can feel different stressors from those same things. And I think uh, just our faith alone is a huge, what I call decompressor, um, because we know we have, somebody's got our back, you know, we're not doing it ourselves. We're not alone out there. Yeah, we're not alone out there. It's true. This relationship with God, uh, what is the, the methods that you use? Prayer, meditation, um, you ask questions, and how do we know that the answers are the ones that we're looking for, and that's the right voice? I had a struggle with that myself uh, for many years um, and early in my faith. And I've been a believer now for 50 years. Wow. But I have learned through my own experience that you do ask the hard questions. You must ask the hard questions. And I want to assure people listening who are in the phase of asking hard questions, I want to assure them that there are answers to those questions and you have to search and you have to be diligent um, and you have to look for teachers who have struggled with the same issues and questions that you have. And there are answers out there. It's not that you're just going to beat and beat and search and search and come up with nothing and be back to square one. There are answers and listen to podcasts of good Bible teachers. Uh, listen to um Anyone who feels that they have already trod the same terrain you're on, um, because I know mentors are very important. I have several people that I mentor, and I have had wonderful mentors myself, um, not just formal, but informally through the years. Uh, and prayer is very important. Reading the Bible is very important. Um, books like Too Blessed to Be Stressed, that they're not heavy theological um, oh, drudgery. It's fun. They're fun. And there's so much fun in faith that I think I hate that people miss the fun in faith. And I try to add a lot of laughs in books. Um, I try to do it on every page if possible. And I, I recommend to people, too, that um, they take a he and me retreat. That's what I call it. Spend time in the presence of God. Um, you him, your journal, your Bible, maybe a little praise music that, that lifts you up and spend it time. That's how you get to know him. That's how you understand um, all the, you, you'll find a lot of your questions answered um, through his speaking to your heart. You know, the scripture that says, be still and know that I am God. Um, that is my favorite scripture or well, one of them. I have it on my wall so that I remember that when I'm stressed out, and when I'm feeling like, oh, we're all going to drop the virus, <laughs> right. toilet paper, out of toilet. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you go crazy. Yeah. 
things like that. I look at that on my wall and I be still and know that God. How do we get to know that? How do we know him? By spending time in his presence, by stilling our minds, our hearts, and our lives. We have to become still. We have to listen for his still small voice because it's not loud. It is so not loud. So we have to listen and we have to discern. And I like uh, to recommend to people who, especially people who are frazzled to the nth degree, to, to do a he and me retreat where you get away for three hours um, and you steal away, just like Jesus did so many times when he was on earth, and uh, get in nature somewhere near a seashore in mountains and woods, whatever you can manage, and spend three hours of time, just you and Papa God in your journal and listening and talking to him and singing to him. And you're going to be surprised what you come away with. Yeah. How wonderful. And one of the ways it's easy to know when we are in the presence of the divine, uh, it's um, love, love and peace. It's, yeah, it's just enjoy, I guess, comes from those states. Yeah. What is your favorite scripture about decon-stressing? Um, it's a combination of de-stressing and decompressing, um, which I call it decompressing. Um, and I think we can sometimes get so wrapped up in the stressors of our everyday that we let them kill things, kill our joy, steal our joy. And um, I think the scripture that is the most important one to recognize kill joys uh, is Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which is my very favorite verse which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the best part, the peace of God, which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think those, those stressors um, that can come in and kill our joy, I call them kill joys, include conflict uh, with other people, um, anxiety, which we can feel overwhelmed by our daily fears and anxieties. But, you know, I feel we can be whelmed without being overwhelmed. Uh, then there's stinking thinking, which is like fear. Fear gets in there like static and we cannot hear Papa God's voice. We can't hear any of our inner faith voices. All we can pick up is destructive, toxic voices, which cast doubt on the truth. And the fourth killjoy is fretting fretting, which is our pathetic little effort to maintain control by worrying. We think somehow we can change the outcome of things that are happening to us. Um, but of course, that's totally false. Uh, and I use the acronym for FRET, uh, F, false sense of R, responsibility for E, every little thing. <laughs> true. So true. We think maintain control but we've actually never had control <laughs> yeah i love that i absolutely love that i wrote it here i have in front of me but in speaking of control before i i have a question about controlling and control or the sense of control so to avoid or to medicate i would say these uh those joy killers Besides being in the presence of God, spending more time with God, do you have other suggestions? 
Well, that's been working for me. And I say surround yourself with positive things, uh, positive thoughts. I talk a lot about that in my books, uh, how positive thinking versus negative thinking, channeling Eeyore, um, you know, that can happen before we realize it because we tend to um, we tend to lean toward the negative. You know, is the glass half empty or half the calories? You know, we have to figure out exactly what our outlook would be. And then once we decide our outlook, that's going to um, determine our level of joy, basically, that we, we can attain. And I would say to, to make sure we dwell on the positive, um, I think we have a wonderful list of positives that, um, that were given in the scripture, uh, Philippians 4, 8, fix your thoughts on that which is pure, honorable, right, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. Oh, wow. If we could just think about things that fall in those categories, how much more positive people would we be? True. Wow. Is that also a practice, Deborah, or it's something that comes from understanding? It's an understanding for life in a way. I would say both. I mean, uh, first we have to understand why we are going to diligently pursue that way of positive thinking. And then we do have to practice it. Uh, I think every single day, it's a matter of discipline, which faith and discipline go hand in hand. Uh, we have like this virus is a runaway virus. That's where thoughts are. There, it can be runaway thoughts. We have to be able to corral them and turn them in the direction that we want them to go, or they will just run rampantly away right over the mountain, and we'll just be negative all the time. So it is a matter of practice, I think, and we do get better the more we practice. Yeah, I agree. Some people say that fear is the opposite of love. Do you agree? Fear is the opposite of love. Well, uh, the scripture says love casts out all fear. So I would say in that respect, yes, um, I am to tell you the truth. I am. I'm not a deep thinker. I'm a shallow kind of <laughs> I, I'm on the shallow end of the brain pool when it comes. <laughs> so um, it takes me a while to, to get wrap my head around concepts sometimes. So. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> mm, but in a way, love, it's uh, really, it's living. So, and you're a very good representation of that. <laughs> Thank you. It doesn't need, we don't need words, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. So speaking of control, I have a question here. How do we know the difference between controlling and choosing to listen to the voice of God? Well, mm, I would say, when we choose to listen to the voice of God, we're asking for him to speak to us. If that is our desire, then it is, we're asking him and we are listening for his voice. That would be choosing. Uh, controlling would imply somebody beating on your head with a mallet saying, you will do it this way or you won't do that and giving you a very strict list of do's and don'ts. Um, and I don't see the Bible that way at all. I see the Bible as my Papa God who loves me enough to set up parameters for me, just like I did for my beloved children when they were little. And they used to do things that would hurt them, but they had no way of seeing that at the time from their limited capacity 
Um, they couldn't see that. So I, it was up to me as their loving parent to set up safe parameters for them. And that's what Papa God does, I think, for us. And we choose to live by those and to ask him to be a part of our everyday lives. So in my opinion, it is not a controlling situation at all. Right. And yeah, I like the asking questions, this asking and the answer will come. Right. Why and how is identifying our personal fears crucial to empowering us to rise above them? Well, I think a fearful life is no life at all. And I think that um, we sometimes just let our fear monsters, is that's my term for them, just uh, rule us without us stopping to realize that is why we do certain behaviors. Um, I know I have a, a certain behavior that was unearthed to me and it, it was, it was a benign thing. It wasn't like I'm a serial murderer on the side or anything. And it wasn't, I wasn't hurting anyone by this behavior, but I had done it my whole life. And I never really stopped to think of where it came from until, uh, recently it was some, I had a, a, a realization of, of, I had forgotten this incident that happened to me back in middle school, um, And all of a sudden, someone said something, and the thing popped into my head, and I relived it. And I had all this shame. And, and I was back in my middle school self, feeling the horror and the shame of, of being exposed in this one area um, to other people, peers my age. And because of that, I developed this behavior that I never associated with that fear at all uh, until this suddenly was open. My eyes were open at this craziness. And, um, and it was simply a matter of wearing hats. I'm a hat girl. I love hats. You know, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. But I had often, I had people ask me, why do you love hats so much? And I didn't know. I don't know. Well, all of a sudden, I went back to this time in my life when my mother was a teacher at the same school I was. And I was sneaking in the back of her room one day while she was teaching to put something in her desk. And, and I was a tomboy. I never my hair. I never even washed my face if I could get away with it. And um, at the, in the middle of that class of eighth grades, many of them were boys. And I was a little mere sixth grader now. She stopped and she pointed at me in the back room and she said, all right, our class is on grooming today. Turn around and look at the worst example of grooming you will ever see. And she said, do you have a comb? Do you even own a comb, Debbie? And everyone turned to me, and I'm sure my hair was sticking straight on end because it usually was. And, um, and I was horrified. And, you know, it never occurred to me all these years later that made, there was a reason why I wear hats a lot. And you know, like I said, it's beyond, beyond benign. It, it means thing in the long scheme of things. But, you know, wow. And then at another point later in my life, um, My hat saved my life. And I'll, I'll tell you that story one day if you want to hear it. But, but they literally saved my life. But, you know, so there are things, I think, that our fears control in us that sometimes we're not even aware of. And um, when I was writing my book, Too Blessed to, uh, well, actually, it was called uh, Fear, Faith, and a Fistful of Chocolate. It was right before I got into the Too Blessed to Be Stressed series. Um, I, I did a survey of 500 random women between the ages of 18 and 80 because I wanted to know what their real fears were on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and it was very interesting to find out uh, what those, those top 10 fears were. Uh, would you like me to share those with you? 
That would be wonderful. But before that, um, Deborah, can you talk to me about the types of fears? No, there are three that I was kind of attracted to. You talk about internal fears, uh, external fears, and the faceless fears. Already talked about them uh, throughout the conversation, but can you specifically tell me, give me some examples of each one of them? Sure. Well, I would say an internal fear is one that has been established in us probably from childhood. It's like I mentioned my fear of shame, of being publicly embarrassed because of my hair. I mean, that's a little mild one, but we develop um, all kinds of fears uh, from experiences, basically. Those would be our internal fears. Some are simmering, some are beneath the surface, just on low, you know, just simmering away, and they might spark up at certain times. Others are downright boiling. You know, we might have a fear of something that, uh, of, and I'll, I'll get into our fears a little bit more. I don't want to spoil my list here. <laughs> yes, right, but right. You'll understand when we, when we mention the list, many of those are from the uh, internal um, list of simmering fears. And then we also have external fears, which are things like fear of heights, um, fear of riding on airplanes. You know, we all have fear of uh, some kind of critters, usually rats, roaches. Um, those are the external kinds of fears. And then um, I think we also have uh, fear that, um, that en envelops us at different times um, that that may come and go and that may rise up. Like for instance, the state that our nation and our, our world is in at this moment is, is enveloped by fear, fear of this virus, fear of the unknown, the faceless fear that we can't name, but it's lurking down inside us. Those are the faceless fears. And those are probably the scariest. And, and what I tried to do in my book, fear, faith, and a fistful of chocolate is to, um, pull out those fears into the light, to shed light on them, get them out of the dark corners so we can deal with them because we have to be able to see them, um, put a name to them and face them in order to do anything about them or they're just going to stay there forever haunting us. So true. I like that. I love, I love that idea. Yeah. Exposing first, knowing, and then doing something about it. Right. So um, let's get to the uh, survey that you conducted. Uh, and then we have the, the top 10 real fears women struggle with on a daily basis. It, it really was surprising to me too. Um, uh, this was ascending order for the top 10 fears. So we're starting with number 10 and going up. Um, and before I start, I'd just like to uh, encourage your listeners to take a moment and think about their own personal fears. And I bet you're gonna see them on this list somewhere. So number 10 was being judged unfairly. Number nine was specific critters like snakes, rats, roaches. Uh, number eight, rejection. Number seven, dependency on others. Number six, loneliness. Um, and I will say that um, some of these on the list do overlap a bit. And I had different age groups in my survey that I divided the results in. And um, sometimes the older age groups would have a different answer than the younger age groups. And again, these were from age 18 to 80. Uh, number five, still continuing going upward. The number five fear was fear of the unknown or death. Uh, number four was fear of old age. Number three, fear of failure. 
Number two, debilitating illness and terminal disease. And then fear of number one, which was head and shoulders, twice as many people listed this next fear as they did in all age groups, across all age groups. This was the biggest fear of everyone. And, you know, and I think it probably is, uh, it depends on the stage of life you're in as to um, how strong this fear is manifesting itself in your life at any given moment. But the number one fear of women in my survey was loss of a loved one. And by that, that means loss as in separation and divorce as a prodigal child leaving or separation from parents of a spouse, child, or parent. And, you know, I think our fears spotlight what matters to us most, because these are the areas in which we trust Papa God the least. And they're the ones that we really, really need to focus on. This fear worms its way into our thinking. It's subtle. It sneaks in. And eventually it affects our actions. So we, we need to um, address it before it starts to erode our self-esteem, our relationships, and even our faith. So I think um, I do talk about a lot in that book, which is available, I think, as an ebook now. I'm not sure you can still get it as a paperback book, you know, but, but it is available on ebook. But I try to go into different ways we can let go of fear, how we can rise above being controlled by fear. Um, and there are some weapons that we have that we can use. Uh, so I think part of it is change. Um, and we need to seek change. If we're, if we're being controlled by fear, we need to change something. Because, hey, it's not whatever we're doing now is not working for us if fear is controlling us. Uh, but it's, it's good to know there's something we can do about it. Yes. Yeah. And thank you so much, Deborah, for doing the work, uh, helping us with the, this understanding. Um, I have a question. So being the number one loss of a loved one, and you have experience um, with that, unfortunately, losing in general, all of us do. What are the most profound lessons that you have learned from losing people and things in life? Probably that Grieving is normal and natural, and we need to do it. Um, I think sometimes we try to stuff our grief before we have uh, let it run its course. And I think that um, some people think that it's a sign of weakness to grieve. And when people, well-meaning people say, you know, uh, just get over it. You know, it's been a year now. I think it's time for you to move on. You know, um, that can drive us farther underground if we have not allowed our grief to run its course. And I think that it is biblical and it's, it's absolutely essential, a healthy part of, um, of our coming back to ourselves again. Uh, I think we do have to have to grieve and then we have to put in some self-discipline there because there needs to be parameters. Um, grieving is fine and good and healthy, but at some point, we have to carry on and we have to take the next step. Um, and I talk about that at length in Fear, Faith, and a Fistful of Chocolate. Um, and I think it's, it's very important that uh, we have supportive people around us who are not pushing us faster. Everybody grieves at their own pace and in their own way. And we just need to have understanding, surround ourselves with understanding people who allow that and who support us. Right. 
so true. What do you think is the ultimate antidote to fear? Love casts out all fear. I go back to that scripture. Um, and, and that's a, that's a shorty, but a wonderful verse. To, I, I love little short, pithy, powerful verses to memorize because they come out when you need them. You know, you're not like trying to quote three, three chapters of something or a long paragraph. They come out and they're able to, um, we're able to use them in our everyday lives. And I think that perfect love does cast out all fear. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what is perfect love? Does anybody have perfect love? I don't. I love my husband, but boy, sometimes he drives me out of my everyday mind. And, you know, I love my grandkids, but time to take them home now, mom, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So all of our love is tainted. It's it's tainted by our own um, our own quirks and by our own little fallacies and our, our foibles and things that we bring to the table that may not be what anyone would call perfect love. What is perfect love? Who who is perfect love might be a better question. And you know that's been a long quest for me to answer that question for myself. And uh, my answer has been Papa God. He's the only perfect love. And how do I grasp that? How do I attain that perfect love to cast out my fear? I have to make an effort. I can't just lay there like a piece of dry linguine waiting for the oil. I have to do something. I have to be proactive. Um, and so that's how spending present, spending time in his presence is what we do. That's how we get to know him. And that's how we understand and we can be filled with that perfect love. Yeah, how wonderful. So do you think that fear has any positive purpose? Yes, I do. Example, uh, I have a four-wheeler. Isn't that silly? Um, me, little, a 60-something-year-old woman, Brian, four-wheeler. I love that thing. I have it up in, in the mountains and Smokies where we have a little tiny cabin that's way out nowhere. It's remote. And I ride that thing like a banshee. I love it. I My hair's hanging out behind me. You know, I just love it. I, I careen up and down the all the canyons and around the, the little ledges that are hanging off in nowhere. And I just love it. And so one day I was up there and I was I came to a hard road, which most of what I ride on is off road terrain. And I slowed down and I looked to the left and there was no cars coming. Uh, I looked to the right. There were no cars coming. So I edged out onto the street, but it was at the top of a hill. So there was ascending roads on both sides. I couldn't see very far down the road on either side. So as I was rolling into the highway on my four-wheeler, whose name is Sir Lance a lot, by the way, I call him Lance, I, I all of a sudden I hear a noise and I look to the right and, and bearing right on me, coming up that hill at very high rate of speed, is this huge truck. And his grill is coming right at me very quickly. So I whoa, I jam that joystick, honey, and I hit the accelerator so hard, Lance and I both flew up into the air at least six feet. And we landed in the ditch on the other side. And um, I sat there staring at this giant truck that would have smashed me into a little puddle of Debbie, just whiz by. And I sat there, my heart's pounding, my Lance is upside down. I'm thinking, oh, this could have ended badly. And I realized fear saved my life. Fear, that sudden adrenaline rush where I jammed my hand down so hard on the gas um, that it got me out of fear's way. And I think 
fear can save our lives in, in many aspects. Um, again, I mentioned before, if we didn't have fear of that C word, we would never do our, well, we may or we may not um, have our boobs squished. You know, we, we would probably not ever do that because um, it hurts. But we are governed by a, a deeper fear than pain, uh, which is death. And so, therefore, it serves us a useful purpose. I mean, as how many reports would we not have turned in if we didn't have fear that we might have been, you know, lose our job over it? Um, so it does have a, a place and a purpose. I think we just have to learn to manage it. Yeah. Wow. So the goal is not really to become fearless. I think that's an impossible goal. I probably God created us passionate. He's a passionate God. He gave us feelings. Where do you think we got those from? We were made in his image. So he has feeling. He had lots of strong feelings. As, as you read the Bible, you realize that. Um, and we have strong feelings. We're passionate people. Um, so I don't think we will ever be fearless. I think that's unreasonable to expect. But the thing is to be able to manage the fear that we have. Yeah, I like that, Deborah, very much. Would you like to add anything or read a um, passage from your book before I ask you a few final questions? I think I have two of them here left. The book that we are talking about today, uh, Inspiration for Every Day, is the 365-day devotional uh, that is part of the series, the Too Blessed to Be Stressed series, in which there are 30-plus books on book products like calendars and different things that um, all take quotes and scripture and funny. I like to get a lot of funny stuff in there. Um, but this one is the 365 day devotional. And I also have a smaller one that's got like 180 readings in it. That's called too blessed to be stressed uh, subtitled two minute, no, it's three, three minute devotions um, for women. And those are all quick and easy, and they call me a potty writer because people leave my bathrooms because they can read them quick. So I never thought I'd be a potty writer, but here I am. That's cute. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was laughing at that one. <laughs> <laughs> that particular little book um, that I just mentioned, The Three-Minute Devotion for Women, it came out um, in several different languages, and it's all over the world, and it sold almost a million copies on its own right now. Be patootie and quick. Yeah. <laughs> right. That makes sense because that's the message is needed. And that's what happens when it's needed in the world. So uh, my final questions, if you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you change anything about your life? Would you do anything differently? You know, I've actually been thinking about that somewhat lately with the virus. I think COVID-19 the crisis has been good for us as people to realize our mortality is not as far away as we tend to believe it is many times. And I think um, it's been good for a lot of us to slow down, um, to get back in touch with loved ones and to think about that issue that you just, that question you just asked, would we change anything if we knew we had a limited lifespan ahead of us? My answer was, I'd eat more chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Very <profound>. Wow. <laughs> what kind of chocolate, Deborah? Oh, honey, I'll take anything. I am this beyond chocoholic. I am a choco athlete, which means I exercise just so I can eat more chocolate. Uh, but I, you know, that's funny that I, I'm so deep. I am. I'm telling you, I'm a shallow girl. I'm not a deep thinker. And 
Because that was the first thing I thought of. What would I do more of? Oh, I would eat more chocolate because I'm trying to keep my weight down. You know, everyone is. Uh, man, I'd have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if I knew I only had two weeks left. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> um, what, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Well, I know that it, uh, it is unpredictable. Um, uh, that is the definitely a lesson from our COVID-19 crisis. Uh, I would say life can be as sweet as you make it. And again, we have choices and it's our choice how we view our lives. It is not our choice what happens to us often. Our circumstances are out of our control, but how we deal with that, how we uh, view our circumstances, that is definitely within our control. And let's see, the third thing, what do I know for sure about life? I know that it has the potential to go on indefinitely. We have eternal life that is offered to us, eternal life. I mean, when you think about that, it blows your mind that is offered to us if we choose to place our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and and to uh, accept it. That's all we have to do is accept this huge gift. Um, so I guess those are the three things I know. <laughs> How great. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, services, and future projects? Well, I have a website that I love to have. We have this wonderful community of, I call them BFFs, meaning blessed friends forever after my book, Too Blessed to be Stressed. And we meet there on my blog, my Too Blessed to be Stressed blog at my website, which is DebraCody.com. And that's spelled a little funky, uh, D-E-B-O-R-A and then C-O-T-Y. So, yes, I'd love to have people join us. I have a free e-newsletter, lots and lots of great stuff at my website, lots of freebies. Uh, So I'd, I'd love to visit with anyone at any time. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Deborah, for talking to me today and your wisdom. It's been a lot of fun, a lot, a lot of fun, meaningful fun, I call it, spiritual fun. Thank you. I call it wit and near wisdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, are, you are funny, fun and funny. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Deborah Cody, please visit her website, DebraCody.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.